And we're back. This is The One-Eyed Man and my name is Mike Stopforth, of course, and we are jumping headfirst into the second half of our original By Tradition series, brought to you by the Glenn Livets. We took a short pause to extract and share some highlights from the first five episodes over the last couple of weeks and, of course, to also give away some premium Glenn Livet prizes, line up some exciting new speakers, new guests. So if you missed that and you don't want to miss it in future, follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram and you'll be the first to hear about it when we announce them in future. I'm really excited about this show, man. It's hard to think of a better example of entrepreneurs challenging traditional industry norms and assumptions than my two guests, Sam and Don Moletta of The Refillery. Talk about original solutions, right? They founded an eco-friendly, plastic-free grocery store. Now, there are examples of this abroad, and they discovered this on their travels, but really had a vision to bring this new concept uh, to a fairly conservative market in South Africa and have done so remarkably well. Their online and real world offerings have grown significantly over the last few years, which if you consider the context is significant in and of its own right. And I think this is in no small part due to a really beautiful branding, really beautiful product design and experience and a crop of loyal, very passionate customers. And I think the secret behind that success will be obvious when you hear them talk about it. I was really deeply inspired by their vision. I was like moved by their intention and their work ethic. These are two incredible people in partnership in the midst of trying to run a family and household in a pretty crazy place, in the midst of a lot of unpredictability and doing so, I think, in, in an admirable way. And I'm sure you'll be motivated too. So if you'd like to watch the video version of this instead of just an audio version, you can head to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Mike Stopwell. Sometimes it's nice to see people's faces as well. But yeah, I hope you enjoy this one and stay tuned because there'll be a couple of really nice conversations following up after this one. And without any further ado, off we go. So Sam and Dom, thanks so much for taking time to to chat to me. I have no doubt you're extremely busy, and especially at this time of year. But I'm really interested. I've I've read up on the refillery. I've I've visited your your store. I've been a part of the experience from a distance. But the more I read about it, the more interesting it is to hear how this has been an idea almost a decade in the making. Now this is a a story of adventure and an idea, and 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 then it all came together in in the real world. Now we all have ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen, right? Ideas are easy. But the execution yeah. part is hard. So tell me a little bit about that story and how it came to life and, and how the version that we get to see today and get to experience today came to be. So basically, we, we, we've been traveling. We met each other traveling in France because mm. he's from New Zealand. I'm South African. We yeah. ended up in France and we met and we worked in the yachting industry for six odd years, six, seven years, which took us to some of the most amazing places around the world. And like literally... We could take a boat to a place where nobody's ever touched. And whenever we'd go and we'd set up beautiful like picnics or dinners and lunches for the, for our guests, we'd have to spend an hour or so cleaning it with rubbish, mm. just filled with rubbish. And we'd always be like, geez, it's a, you know, look at this perfect scene and it's destroyed, you know? I think, I think it almost seemed like one of those situations where you go, this is an issue, but it's just too big yeah. for us to, yeah. like you see it and, and, it became, like, what could I do? Yeah, you know? yeah, it was just too big and too intangible in a way that we go, oh, there's nothing, how could we ever do anything about it? It's it's, it's a horrible problem, but, but we'll it is our, what it is. And we'll do our best with while we can with what we have. And yeah. then, you know, traveled some more, 
worked around the world. Then we had our first kid. And just having kids kind of changes a whole bunch, you know. Just mm. you value your time more, I think, because we had one and then quickly followed by our second kid. And we were like, what are we doing working for other people in like this rat race of – uh, not even a nine to five, you know, he worked incredibly hard and I had the kids and, you know, there's no backup in another country when you're alone. And it just was like, why don't we do one of the things that we really love or and something that we're do. passionate about and do it, just jump straight in. And when we were living in New Zealand, we, um, they have this, this concept around the world. It's called plastic free July. And it's not so mm-hmm. big here. We're going to make it big here. But in New Zealand, everybody in July tries to remove all plastic. For the month of July. And that's oh, wow. where the sustainable swaps came in. So we were like, okay, we've got two little kids, two under two. He's working hard. It's a new country. Let's see what we can do. And we did. We picked like four or five swaps, gave that a go. And then we're like, well, it was easy enough. Let's see what else there is. And that's when we started looking for the grocery side of thing, bringing in a hell of a lot of plastic waste. So we were like, okay, let's go and have a look. And we had seen stores like ours around the world in the travels that we'd done in France and Germany, even in places like Thailand, you know, an old school traditional market where you buy what you need. So Mm. like you say, Mm. it's not a new concept at all. It's just, it's going back to how things were kind of good and great and living with what you need. So back in the day, back in the day. Um, (laughs) And we literally were like, okay, let's try and find, there were these stores in New Zealand that were stunning but out of our price bracket, you know, we just couldn't afford to shop okay. there with two small kids, one income household. So we're like, this wouldn't work in South Africa unless it was feasible for your average family mm-hmm. like us. And that's when we did. We just sold up a house. I moved home within a month. He finished out his, his work there. And two months later, we'd opened up our online store. And then a couple months later, we had our first, yeah. our first branch. And yeah, now we're five stores mm-hmm. in. Two and a half years later. Which is sensational if you consider the circumstances that you've had yeah. to navigate over the last year. And we are definitely going to talk about that because, I mean, it's just astonishing. that There are a select few businesses that almost were kind of born out of the urgency and the pressure of the last couple of years. And, and they're really interesting businesses to understand. So we, we're definitely going to tap into that. But why the decision to come here and build the brand in this place? Uh, because you mentioned early on... We're not really great when it comes to thinking about sustainability, South Africans in general, right? Even if it just comes down to household recycling, we're very slow on that, yeah. on that trajectory. And, and, and I suppose there's a double-edged sword there, right? Because that means that there's enormous opportunity to create awareness and, and build a brand. But at the same time, you kind of have to educate your market too. Um, talk yes. me through that decision. So I think as Sam mentioned before as well, we were looking for having just had our two kids and we were looking to really start our project for what we wanted to do. What can we contribute and pass on to our kids type thing? Part of mm. obviously a huge part of that is reducing the, the impact that we have in our plastic pollution, our plastic waste and everything like that. The second part of that is being able to pass that on to other people who can also have an impact through their families. And so it grows and grows and grows. And I think, yeah. yes, it always has been a bit behind from a sustainability point of view here, but it's also something that's really, really exciting because like you say, there's huge opportunity and we can, mm. we've got the, we, we've got the opportunity to have a massive impact. If we can, if we can grow this, like we'd really like to be able to grow it, there's no reason why we can't 
remove, say, 40% of, of the average plastic waste that goes into the system here in this country. And, and I think that opportunity is a really exciting part of it as well. And South Africa is, has always been, for us, I mean, traveling around the world, we've seen amazing places, we've lived in a lot of places, but we've always said it's better here. So even now, no matter what goes on, we still love it here. The quality of life is wonderful. The possibilities are, are endless. And like for us to open up a business, here is a, is a great idea to do it. There's, there's a future. There's, you, can jump stra- you can jump straight in and you know, just open up a grocery store with no there background are, in it or anything. You know? look, there are definitely some hurdles that you have to face here that you don't face in other places. <laughs> Yeah. Like today, for example, with uh, our power supply restrictions coming in even further with about 15 minutes notice. But look, I think if it also forces you to be creative and find solutions yeah. around those problems and issues as well. And I think in a, in a large way, it really does foster that entrepreneurial spirit and force. And it's that saying here of, you know, we've got, we've got to make a plan. Yeah. This might speak to my naive optimism, but there's a sense that a fair amount of chaos breeds a fair amount of opportunity, right? Like you don't really get the one without the other. So uh, we've got to be careful how much we complain uh, if we are benefiting from the upside of the opportunity as well. I mean, that's certainly been my experience. So it's worth kind of holding that in balance, even though it can be difficult to do when, as you say, you're trying to run a business and it feels like there's an obstacle around every around every corner. Your, your decision to build the brand with an online business, to begin trading with a, with a kind of purely e-commerce interface, and then to sort of evolve into a bricks and mortar environment, was, was the bricks and mortar always part of the plan or did that kind of come out of the success of the online business? How did you think about the risks of building a bricks and mortar business in, you know, kind of in a world that feels like it's moving more online, but maybe I'm wrong about that? It's definitely, you're 100% correct. It is all moving more online. However, our business, the concept around it is the experience. So even though our Mm. online store, we actually opened it, we launched it first because it was ready where we hadn't found the right spot for us yet. So we were like, let's get going and let's see, like learn from a few of the online orders, what's working, what's not before we open up our bricks and mortar. But our concept is always going to be the refilling aspect. So People still love coming mm. in store to refill, whether it's by themselves or the family, they bring the kids along, um, or it's just something, you know, it's a feel good vibe afterwards. So like you take COVID, you know, hard lockdown, having our e-commerce site, it um, finally came into its own, but everybody, kept us afloat. it kept us afloat, but every new customer right. we made all said that they can't wait to come in store instead. Mm. And they're using this because they're mm. staying home. So it was always going to be bricks and mortar, and that's still mm. our plan. It's changed in terms of we started with a bigger store, and we now know that we can go smaller, you know, with more products. And we've learned a lot of square meters, price per square meter in terms of products and stuff like that. But ideally, we want to have as many small branches and as many little communities as we mm. can uh, so that everyone can shop refillable and 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 the way we like it yeah, i think i think the interactive nature of shopping in a refillable manner is it's such a crucial part for us and it's it is one of the huge things that sets us aside from your standard uh, trip to the shops mm-hmm. whereas as sam mentioned people you can bring your kids and you can get them involved and rather than just trying to stop them from grabbing Touching. all the okay. sweets that are on the bottom shelf or the 
fancy looking juice or cereals or whatever they are, you can actually get them involved and and it's also meeting our team. Yeah. It's a different experience all round. And, and and also a bit of an educational thing as well at the same time. Why do we shop mm. like this? Well, did you know? Um so that also provides us with a few different avenues of of helping keep people coming back and and definitely that interaction and the interactive nature in store is is something that's that's quite special for us we got to travel recently as a family uh, which we haven't done in a long time you know with some distance um <laughs> across an ocean uh which yeah. is incredible and uh, no, no. on the plane on the way back i was chuckling at the family behind me they had taken out a packet of pistachios and this young kid that was maybe like 10 or 11 was was drilling these pistachios and and said to his mom i love these because they're like a meal and a workout at the same time oh, so um <laughs> that was quite cute and and in a way there's there's enormous value i think to and i hadn't thought of this before our conversation but you you, you know you pointed out and it's really profound to helping our kids understand that food doesn't just arrive on a shelf uh, like that and that there is a process and making them more uh, aware of the intricacy of that, I think is, is a significant learning, uh, exercise. But I mean, that's just one example of how I think your stores are like really tactile. I think the thing that struck me immediately, uh, so the, my first experience of your brand at all was, was walking past a store and, Looking at it, A, looked incredible. And obviously being in the branding space, I'm going to be attracted to something that, you know, I'm going to be, why, why is this speaking to me immediately? And I want to find out more. But so in terms of kind of visual elements, the sounds within the sort of smell, like it's a very tactile, high sense um, experience. Now, that would be one thing if you guys had run multiple retail stores in your lives before and you'd kind of refined it over years and years of, of you know, kind of trial and error. But looking at it, uh, sort of from the outside, it looks like you've been doing this for a very long time and that you kind of arrived. How did you, how did you even think through design and customer experience without, or do you think it was the fact that you didn't have any prior experience that maybe served you in a way? You know, you didn't have any kind of like old retail muscle memory. Yeah. Mm. I think it, I think it's a bit of both there actually. Uh, and look, we had quite specific ideas in mind when it came to the design and layout of the store and everything like that. Um, we, mm. we have been lucky enough to see them around the world and we've always loved them, and, but we've always kind of thought it'd be great if like maybe just that little bit was different yeah. or maybe if they'd just done a little bit of something like this kind of thing. So we kind of took all of those little bits and pieces, put them together and, yeah. and we came up with an idea. We had the store design, and, and, and the guys did a great job designing the first store. And then we came in, and we just went, it's brilliant. We'd just love to tweak a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But definitely, I think we came at it not so much from a from a retail point of view as from a customer's point of view yeah. in a way that's what had that had that's what had built our perspective and our opinion on what we really wanted to see in there and a lot of people said to us in the beginning you know why don't you just try it out at markets and or try it as a pop-up mm. and mm. i think through yachting because everything in the yachting industry is it's a seven star industry so our service was always you know you, you could never experience anything like it. So bringing that into a, into a business space, we were like, it's got to look great. And, and it was, if you're going to do something, do it with style. So we wanted people to walk in and immediately want to know. And like you said, like, 
what's going on here? And that's a hundred percent. Most people are like, not sure what to do, but I really wanted to come in and see. And then we're like, well, we got you now. Now we're going to chat you through, through the process. But it's it, the whole idea was if it looked good, even because it's so different and it's still different. Like we spend the, our entire time. It's an education. It's a walking mm. people through the process and, and the concept, but because it looks good, it's not so daunting. Um, they, they're not put off by a market-esque style. They, they, they all think it looks, you know, really clean, hygienic, really good looking, well laid out. So, and we refined it from like our first stores at Cedar and we loved it and it was a strange space, but now we've, you know, we've tweaked them all so that they can have the same look and feel. Um, but from then say a retail perspective, be a bit more profitable. Mm-hmm. So to get as many products in, layout perspective. I mean, I personally love, I hate clutter. So when I was setting things up in the beginning, it was two of these and spaced out in the retail world. It doesn't work. We stack it high and watch it fly. That's our motto. We're like, no more, layer it in. So we've, we've learned and we've grown, but to keep the brand looking, you know, clean, mm. poli- well polished is, is exactly how we started it. And it's why we don't do anything. You know, we actually just did a pop up this weekend and we did it. Our style. It was done really well. It wasn't like going to be a throwaway thing. It was a, you know, something we, we put effort into. So it looks good. So people always think that. And, and know, big it's, brand. it's another, it's another way of helping try and entice people in exactly like mm. you say. Like, mm. It is a new concept. So we also have to, we've got to remove the, the barriers to entry from a customer's point of view or, or the fear of whatever it might be. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely helped us since we started that, that we've have always put a lot of emphasis on the, on the brand and the design, be yeah. it from a, from a digital point of view or from on the bricks and mortar store perspective. All right, a quick break and play. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope you're enjoying our Glenlivet original bike tradition series. A wise man once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. For me, this is what being the original is really all about. It's a mindset. It's forward-looking. It's progressive. It's about not backing down to conformity or accepting mediocrity. It's about questioning norms, breaking assumptions. It's in the way that we combine resources creatively and use our talents in ways other people hadn't imagined. Ultimately, originality is really about people who are determined to do things on their own terms, redefining the way that we think about things like culture and success and achievement in the process. Originality is all about how we draw on our roots and show up winning again and again and again. A big thank you again from me to the team at Glenlivet for making these conversations possible. If you're enjoying the show as much as I'm enjoying recording it, please don't hesitate to share it with your network. And now, back to the podcast. What has surprised you most about people's responses to the bricks and mortar experience? So, so as you mentioned, some people will arrive with intention. They're, they're specifically going to the store to go to the refillery and others will walk past or will go to Woolworths and then immediately regret doing so or, or whatever it might be. Um, what has surprised you most about people's, uh, people's responses to the, the retail experience? I think for me, it's been like when we started, we had a rough idea of who, who was going to shop at us, who was our target audience and how we were going to grow it. 
and from day one, it was, it was them, but everyone else. So yeah. anyone from your family, the mum making decisions, um, from private schools to government schools didn't matter. Then it was singles, young businesswomen, businessmen mm-hmm. coming in. They want to eat well, but they shopping for one. And similarly, then also like downsizing houses. So a family that was four, now you've got a couple, just the two of them and they would come in and go, I believe I can only buy a small amount for dinner of this couscous, you know? So they'd come in and, and, and buy that. And it was like, we somehow got a lot of different audiences quite quickly. And then we slowly just grew the, what they were adding. So they, they didn't have a preconceived idea. Mostly. Some mm. people were expecting some, us to be barefoot with dreads. That's what they kept saying. They're like, I can't believe you guys look normal. <laughs> yeah, you guys are normal. Super normal. <laughs> like, you don't Wearing have to be, a, you know, yeah. tie yourself Thanks, to a tree. I guess. <laughs> we always say, like, you don't have to tie yourself to a tree to make a difference. Like, this is first and foremost a business as well. Like, it has to be viable. But the idea is that we are making a difference. Yeah. We and send our kids to school. Yeah, they've got to eat too. <laughs> and they don't live off just beans and rice um, a lot of the time. Um but I think, yeah, it was, it was seeing out the vast differences of audiences. Even people like during lockdown saying, I have 50 Rand for dinner. What could we make work with 50 Rand? And we're like, cool. Hmm. Well, we can get a small handful of couscous, a little bit of this. You want some dessert? Here's four chocolate almonds or even buying lunch. They buy two dates, one strip of mango. Um, you know, so it was a, it was a very wide variety of people that surprised us. And you can do that because of your business model, right? So you, you've taken a very different approach to do. Now, that in and of itself also must have been quite an intimidating new frontier to navigate because I imagine that Absolutely. there are certain <laughs> people in your customer base that will walk in expecting to shop like they've always shopped or, you know, kind of expecting yeah. you to do the work for them or whatever it might be. Uh, what have people's responses to the business model taught you about that planning? And has it shifted quite dramatically since you started? Because I imagine I would have experienced a bit of analysis paralysis around like, yeah. is this exactly right? And yes. uh, sometimes That's you it. can't, you know, sometimes you have to learn through through the process. So talk me through a little bit of the refinement around the business model. For us, it was definitely a lot of it has been learning on the go. And we, and again, prior to having opened, we got every opinion under the sun of mm. from starting with markets, just do online, do this, do that. And we actually stuck to our guns and we just said, no, this is what we want to do. We think it will work. We've identified our target market. It is much more broad, it turns out, than we could have ever imagined, which is fantastic. And I think one thing that we have learned is that we can never keep everybody happy. Oh, sure. We can, yeah. we can try and appeal to as many people as possible, but we will do that only in a way that makes sense for us as a business and that means a from an economic point of view but also we have to stay true to the brand as well the amount of people who when we first opened oh the store's fantastic this is great cool i'll have this 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 and oh, cool help you that, that done can i get a plastic packet uh, we lost no, you. no no you can't actually <laughs> oh why not Whoa, you've completely missed the point. Thanks for coming in, but you've completely missed the point of why you're here. And so like lots of little, uh, I think those casual interactions 
benefited have benefited us, us. Yeah. and that those are the things that we use the most i think to grow because and we change because we are small we can we can still be agile enough to be able to mm. to change a little bit here a little bit there as required even big changes i mean one of the i think all of our changes have come from our customers experience so they would say mm. I love this. I just don't know what to do with X or Y. And I wish you would have more recipes or more information. So how we started, like the one thing is our labeling was originally just a very basic, you know, the name, what was in it, the ingredients and allergens. We now it's a full product information, including instructions on how to cook it. Because there are people without a packet, they've cooked rice for their entire life. But without that packet, they panic. So they're like, well, how would I cook this? Well, same how you cooked all your rice before. Oh, oh, this well, is just normal. Is it just normal? Like normal it's just rice? normal food. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so then we, we added more detail as much as possible. And it's something that we still want to do. We want to put QR codes on our bins that link straight to more recipes, more videos, stuff like that. So, but like Dom said, because we're small, we can do, you know. Constant evolution, yeah. I think, is something that we always driving towards. And, and, and it is, like Sam says, a huge part of that is just based on our customer experience. Yeah, and what they, and, and their the feedback. feedback. And even our online side. So with lockdown, obviously, no one was coming in store, but our website was finally getting some good good use. And because it hadn't been like a massive part of our business, it was only, what, 5% mm-hmm. originally, now everyone was giving me an email saying, I loved it, got it so quickly, thank you. I wish you could do... X, Y, and Z. So throughout Hmm. hard lockdown, we took all those things and we were like, okay, okay, that works. We understand why ease of use, you know, how quickly will you drop out of a a website if it's difficult or you can't go back or so we did. And then we did a massive change of the website to update it, make it more user friendly from their feedback. And it's always around, I think, more information. People Hmm. need more information lifetime like the one thing that came out of it was delivery time they were like what if i'm out and stuck in that queue outside you know pick and pay and woolies when you're only allowed out once a day or whatever it was um, and i miss my delivery and i miss my groceries so that was one they wanted to track it like you do mm. your you know buying a pizza on a friday yeah. night and you track how quickly so it was little thing insights like that that although lockdown was you know horrid it taught us so much we were able to grow and like dom and i were doing deliveries ourselves so we packed during the day the two of us at one store each and then we'd on our way home plan a route and go to meet everybody as well so i think it's oh, always wow. been meeting it's not just you know a big a brand with no face and they don't care if somebody said i really do want you guys to stock coconut sugar we've gone out of our way to see if it's viable and then we get it in and see if it works and, and then bring it in because that's what some of our most valued customers have said, which is why I think instead of filling out a survey after you shop somewhere and you know it's probably going nowhere, they mm. actually see mm. that what what they've said and the the ideas, the criticism, the all their feedback is actually going to something, whether it was a good respond. thing. And ourselves. we respond ourselves, you know, um, no matter what, it's it's always us behind there. Um, which is exhausting and we, we try and juggle everything, but I think it helped, it's helped us grow and, and been able to stay true to the brand. We did have a guy the other day ask us to wrap everything in plastic for online, online orders because he had, a he had one packet that broke and he said, <laughs> I've got an idea and it would be plastic bags around everything. We were like, oh, 
we're not going to yeah. do that, but we value your feedback and yeah. <laughs> we'll try Please and find add it another to the suggestion way to do it that's less, you know, less damaging and less single use, a little bit more of a sustainable option. So, okay, fascinating. So, I want to ask you a little bit around kind of sourcing and partnerships, but you make a really valid point around when you are the size and type of business that you are right now, you can be so involved in every part. And I mean, again, this is definitely has its pros and cons because that's extraordinarily demanding on your time and energy, but you do get to get a really clear sense of what people are experiencing at every part of the, at every customer touch point. I would assume that you have ambitions around growth and I mean, you've already enjoyed some significant growth and probably already are thinking about how do we ensure that that experience is consistent as we grow? Because what you don't want, I guess, is for the brand's efficacy or the shopping experience or the product quality or whatever it might be to degrade as as you grow. How, how do you think about that balance and, and what are you doing to kind of negate, you know, kind of the further you get from the delivery of the products, you know, ensuring its success and its quality. It's, it is, but it's a, and it's a major part. It's a huge part of our business. Yeah. And, and as we mentioned earlier as well, it's, it's for when customers come in store, that true interactive experience with, we've got a great team of our staff are, are amazing. Yeah. And, and we work really hard with them to try and ensure that exactly like you say, everything is on point all the time. And one of the key things of that for us is, is their ability to interact with every customer that walks through the doors so that Whether everybody who leaves or... ha- leaves with a positive experience and a positive memory. Yeah. Mm. And, and without them doing that for us when we're not there, and that's definitely something that's been very hard for us to to do over the last year, eighteen months, is to have to, to have to trust to let go. Like it is our it's our baby, you know. So mm, and mm. it means that we are very heavily involved, and and they would probably argue too much at times. Yeah. But but to grow, it's it's a necessary evil in a way yeah. that that you have to be able to put your faith in people put in the right, right environment training. and the right training around that. And from our perspective as well, it means that we are always available for them. Yeah. So we'll back our team 100%. But if they're ever unsure about making the right call or whatever it is, they know they can phone us at any time if we're not there because we're bound to be at one of the other stores. And we are slowly, yeah. like with the growth this year, so obviously last year it was, it was just the two stores, which was easy to manage, you know, pe- manage people and the experience and, you know, almost quality control it with friends, with ourselves coming in to check. Um, but going to five, it is, I mean, it's quite, it's quite a lot. So we've grown, yeah. you know, we've added roles, new roles, um, positions in our business. So we have, um, an amazing girl who does like the checks. We have a compliance check so that every store, is the same. We run them the same way. The experience is there and it's everything from how they interact with people right down to the daily cleaning checklists. And it is, it's a lot of checklists. It's a lot of, you know, touching base, things being ticked off so that we know it's been done and then somebody follows up. But it, it does. It stems from good people and a lot of training. And, and we the, do. And, and the we, development of those structures. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. constantly changing them. Like we, we use our training purely from the feedback that we get if some some difficult customer questions we use those and then we go and do a training session with each team 
um, in each branch and to walk it through. Because not everybody is, not all our team are vegan or plant-based or, you know, have a nut allergy. So there's, there's questions and a lot of our customers will be like, what do you think I should do for high blood pressure? And mm. we always go, okay, now these are the moments where you've got to go, we're not doctors or dietitians or anything. This is my opinion. And, you know, give them the right advice um, without being standoffish, but you want them involved. You know, it is, it's a, it's a constant thing that we have to work mm. on. Um, mm. And I don't think that'll ever change because like you say, if we lose the experience, the feel of our store, and it is our people. And we're lucky that, Everyone who works for us does also live the brand. They they work for us. Um, I mean, not you know they're not in it for any other reason, but it's a part time something or while they're studying. But they truly believe in what we're doing, and they all are in some way doing their own thing. And they're like one girl's vegan, one's plant based. They all are learning new things. So the basics: water bottles, straws, cups. They were all already on that, but they're looking at more ideas. Some of them are wanting to study sustainable law, stuff like that. So there's a nice mix of us to to keep the the ethos strong, you know? Well, it does help when people have something to believe in, something to align themselves yeah. to. It's so much easier yeah. to get buy-in, to encourage learning and that process of discovery. It's something we spoke about uh, in a previous recording with um, the two founders of Monaco Coffee, who are friends of mine and I <laughs> love their brand and I've watched it grow. And, and then we were talking no, we, about exactly the same thing. Is the We start their coffee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no ways. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. So then Didn't you'll you? know Brandon no, there. Brandon, so Brandon, they, Brandon, they were in the first Brandon. half of the season and um, they were talking about exactly the same thing. It's just, you know, you would assume as an outsider, as a lay person, that it would get easier to guarantee the quality of a cup of coffee that lands on somebody's table or the beans that get delivered to their house as the business grows, but it actually gets harder uh, mm. and scale is, is always going to be, it's a great, it's a wonderful thing. Of course we want to scale and we want to grow an impactful, powerful business, but the, the challenge of maintaining those systems that kind of prop it up and, and that all comes down to passionate people and their, their desire to, to align with that. Right. I think as well that it's, I think that they also, because we are involved every moment of our waking life you know and I think our teams also see how involved we are and that I think they also kind of feed off that to a degree as well you know yeah Yeah. it it would be very easy to be hands off and go cool guys no you don't bother me at exit time or whatever but and you might have a fantastic lifestyle for a very short period of time but i don't know how sustainable your business is going to be over the long term if that's going to be your approach. Sure, sure. Which it segues very nicely into my next question. So, I mean, running a business is tough. Starting a business is harder. And then um, starting a business just before a pandemic is immeasurably hard. Uh, working with your partner is tough. <laughs> working with your partner when you have children is harder. So I imagine... Starting and growing a business before a pandemic in the retail space with your partner and with kids, yeah. if I add those together, um, <laughs> must be a little challenging. Really so what I'm curious is what, what <laughs> recreational drugs do you guys take and where can I get them? Uh, <laughs> We've got a great doctor. <laughs> Prescriptions can flow. <laughs> <laughs> Talk me through how you have 
as a partnership, because I mean, that's really what this business depends on is the efficacy uh, of your partnership. How, how have you navigated some of the tougher times in the last year and a half, if you're comfortable uh, sharing that? And, and what do you think it means for this business as you kind of, as hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, touch wood, we move into a, a more open, more, more kind of busy time uh, for all of us? Sure. I mean, like I say, it is hard. We opened up our second store three weeks before, three weeks yeah. before hard lockdown. Yeah. And it was, it has. It's, it's a great it's, three weeks and then it just it fell off a cliff. And then, yeah, we, like, we <laughs> learned going, some harsh lessons. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do here? Yeah. And I think no, I we've always imagine. worked together, actually. So mm. since the day we met, we worked on a boat, which is, you know, bunk beds type living in small spaces. So the working together is something that we do really well. And we both... Mm have strengths and weaknesses that we try and delegate. And at the mm. beginning, we were doing everything together. So we got to a point, like with lockdown yeah. as well, like we can't do everything. We can't be everybody's, you know, I was trying to do accounting, which is just just mm. crazy. So we did. We were like, okay, I have no idea how to do this, but you're pretty strong at that. Let's Let's try and give ourselves a tiny bit of, you know, we don't both have to do everything. So that was a learning mm. curve that – took time and mm. we're, we're still kind of navigating it and when we grow a bit more then we, we manage change to, slightly yeah. so we've got to we've divest ourselves of something yeah. here and then we get a lot of pivoting and <laughs> you know we're trying to find the right people for the jobs that we simply can't do because there's mm. a lot of youtubing a lot of googling um <laughs> when we have we have meetings with some people who throw out some terms and we're both like Save that one for later, and we're going to Google it quickly, and we'll know what we're talking about. I'll come back to you on that. Yeah. So yes. And it has Smile been and incredibly hard, but I think, I mean, geez, we we do enjoy each other's company. We find a we way to have... Yeah, we're lucky like that. Yeah. Like, we enjoy, We you know, we have a, an excuse to have a weekly meeting out during the day where there aren't any kids, and, you know, that's, like, golden. Um, but otherwise, we find ways, you know, it's something... We really want it to be a success. So when we look back, we're like, geez, we're exhausted. The last couple of months, we're a bit broken. And then we go, but at the same time, we both get to pick up our kids. We get to be together. You know, yes, we're working some days till midnight, but the balance is still there. You know, the quality of life that we're, we're working towards and to long be together. Long-term goals. Yeah, long-term goals. We know it's a long-term goal. And it is. I think it's just we're learning to communicate even better like we have to because when things are changing yeah. you know one day it was level four then there was riots and we we put in all these little plans in place and then all of a sudden we we're like no idea what to do with this what, what, what okay yeah. what do you think well i don't know and we spitball ideas we, had, we, we don't had, get a finger we had locked down we had locked down load shedding and rioting at the same and time one, and we were just like oh man but like you say i think on a on a personal level Yes, it does. It forces you to communicate better, yeah. which is probably not a strength of mine uh, at all. But you like push me into it. <laughs> uh, but we are. We're very lucky that we we do enjoy spending time here. It doesn't matter if we're like uh, packing stock of fifty kilos of beans, like two hours. We might still not be glamorous. It might not, not be glamorous, glamorous time, yeah. but it's it's still it's time together. that uh, in our. And since we've ever known each other, I think we've spent two years not working together and it was, we found it probably harder on our relationship in that respect Mm. 
being sort of separated like that, if you like. So we're definitely very lucky. We we definitely play uh, to each other's strengths and then try and fill the fill the gaps with the weaknesses we outsource. Outsource when we can, yeah. (laughs) Um, And and we get to involve the kids as well. Like the kids are with us on weekends while we're checking on stores, and Mm, mm. they love. They love the, they call it the frillillary. They can't quite say it yet, <laughs> but they love the idea around it as well. So like even my son will come with the rubbish and he's like, mum, which bin? Recycling, compost or the bin bin? And he knows to ask before throwing something away, you know, so make it even more worth it. You know, our kids are learning through us and we're all together, even if they're having to do a run and as a family. And I think, I mean, COVID taught it to us, but even before why we decided to do refillery was we didn't want to work for somebody else's dream. You know, I didn't want to be another foot soldier and mm. we didn't want to, you know, waste away the best years of our lives for someone else. So yes, it's hard now. It's, it's not easy, but at the same time, we're still we somewhat still, in control of yeah, our own destiny, I think, which is, and which is the biggest thing. And, and being able to, being able to be in a position where we can pass on those little things to the kids and yeah. everything like that in a personal way, that's a, personal example of what we're trying to do for for everyone you know if if three people come into the store and then their children learn as a result of their shopping habits having changed that guys we don't need to be buying this and then it goes into the bin we could buy this and then it can go into the compost instead because it's a compostable paper bag as as the packet instead of plastic or styrofoam or whatever it might be then i think those those like little victories are little nuggets for us that we get to hold on to and they're, they're things that we can be levels. proud of and and keep us driving towards yeah. trying to grow this thing to where we where we can we'd like some less bumpy roads ahead if like <laughs> you know covid was one thing and we're like it's not going to last too long, and it's kind of lasted quite long. But if there could be some smoother sailing, as much as we're grateful for these lessons, we're learning. We're learning. COVID. It's only going to last five weeks. Yeah. It's five weeks, five and weeks. then we're done. We're done. We just get then through. Then there'll it. be no more COVID. Head down. Head down. Work hard. That's what we keep saying. Head down. Graft hard, and we'll get through this. There's a lot of wine consumption for sure, but mm. um, yes. it's you know finding ways to let us whatever steam, works. Whatever works. Yeah, we do. We we work well together, and we we like what we like what we do. So it does help. It certainly helps a great deal. Yeah, it's interesting you me- mentioned the point around how COVID and how being kind of confined to our houses has impacted the way we think about what we use. Because a lot of us had the luxury of, especially in South Africa. I mean, this is amplified here, right? We we use stuff, and we don't even have to take the trash out. No. We we employ somebody to help us do those things where we don't even we don't feel any pain around our waste. And no. so one of the things that I think happened certainly for our family in lockdown was a, a much deeper sense of what we used and what we wasted. And I mean our one of our little projects was a was a, a compost heap. Well we kinda had a sort of thing going, which wasn't great, but like we introduced a little worm farm. Couldn't believe I could feel this emotionally invested in worms, but I am <laughs> deeply <laughs> Like some the veggie garden, we tackled a veggie oh, garden. Man, some of them tragically passed away the other day because we <laughs> we they were exposed to too much heat, and it was like a very very painful moment for our family. Yeah, shout out to Louis and his one thousand two hundred eighty-two <laughs> friends. But it was yeah, it was a, a big moment for us. So, but a very encouraging to hear you talk about your partnership that way because I have a sense of just how 
how much work that needs and the fact that it is something you can enjoy together and you can watch the fruits, literally the fruits of your labor, have an impact on your family, other families and the world around you is, I'm sure, a significant gift. So so well done on that. So at the end of, of every show in the series, I ask two questions and I, on purpose, don't brief you with these questions up front. But I'm going to level them uh, to you quickly. And you can decide whether you both want to ask them or whether you want to answer one uh, or, you know, uh, whatever you want to do. But the questions are thus. The first one is, if you could go back in time to meet with your 18-year-old self, what single sentence of advice would you give that person uh, at that point in time in their lives? And I'm sorry, you can't take the fifth on this one. You can't (laughs) abstain. You have to come up with something. Uh, And then while you're thinking about that one, if you could introduce a compulsory read, a compulsory book into the South African education system at any stage, if you could insist that every child in South Africa reads one book, um, what book would you choose and why? I'll go with 18-year-old self would be... Don't study what you've been <laughs> what you've been told to study. Um, so I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do uh, after school. So all I yeah. really knew was that I love sports. So, so he's, okay, oh, you should be a teacher. <laughs> I was like, he's the worst yeah, teacher cool. ever. So I studied for four years, became a, a PE teacher, and uh, did it for like three months. And I was like, yes, I hate this. This is just not me as who I am as a person. It was a terrible, terrible fit. So I think, I think you get so consumed with like, okay, I've finished school. I've got to make a plan. We've got to do this and this. Like, you've still got, you've still got time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I'd tell myself, because I also studied something that I love. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think I haven't done it. So it's a bit pointless now. You do it every day. I kind of, yeah, a little bit of marketing. But for me, I think I'd tell myself to just do what I did. Just keep enjoying travel as much as you can. And so, like, Mm. literally drain the life from life so that you can, you know, go and, like, live as full as you can. Because we've done a lot of traveling. Yes, you know, not jumping into, you know, our study things or studying the right thing or getting a perfect job. It's had, you know, hurdles in our lives, especially later on. But at the same time, traveling teaches you so much, meeting people around the world, living in different situations, different jobs. Mm. I honestly would just tell myself to do it and, and, and it's okay. That it's okay to not have the big plan that that I didn't yeah, have and yeah. and enjoy enjoy the journey because, mm. yes, we've had you a lot learn, of fun. You and can learn so much from that. I think it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Any, but if there's one thing you could tell anybody, it would be, yes, travel. you've got to travel. travel. It teaches yeah. you so much about yourself, others, how how you interact with them, how they pick up on you, like everything. It's just, it's, I think that is probably the single best piece of personal development that you can do as a person is to experience as Couldn't many different more, cultures yeah. and places. As, and, as and live life. Like lockdown would have taught you that you could have been, have the best job in the world, lost it in a day almost and was stuck at home and you could have either hated it or you could have turned it into X amount of weeks of either a good time, guitar, some family time, learn or... something, do something, love something, you know? So I definitely would tell myself to just keep going and don't feel guilty about doing it. 
But Dom, I, I identify with your story of not knowing what I wanted to do coming out of school. And like you, I, I probably went to see one of those guidance counselor people and they did like an evaluation. Yeah. And I was told, you're a people's person. You should do HR. So I think what we're identifying is that um, don't see a guidance counselor. That's maybe the, the key takeout of the it's conversation so far. Yeah. If you're a guidance counselor at a school somewhere, just, just resign. Yeah. Just, yeah. just avoid it completely. You're 18 and you choose something that you're going to study for the rest of your life. I enjoyed it at the time, but you know, yeah. 20 years down the line, you become a different person sometimes. And yeah. And that's okay oh, yeah. now. Life's changing think, so much. I think it's also probably very different for kids now with because, say, our folks' generation, they one left job. school, they did one job for the rest of their yeah. days, and that was the expectation. Yeah. Whereas now, I think what you do, like 11.5 different jobs, I think it is something like that. You have double digits somewhere, different careers in your adult life. Um, so I think it's also for, for our children growing up, There'll be a lot more flexibility in that in that opinion and that yeah. point of view for sure. Oh sure, yeah. And I suppose as a parent, the best gift you can give them to prepare them for that is perspective, right? Is yeah. is not to take themselves too seriously and to appreciate exactly. the opportunities in the world around them. To your point around travel, yeah. yeah. And the book that you would introduce into the schooling system. Can I say I'm not familiar with the South African schooling systems I'm from New Zealand, so uh, Don't I'll just into the New Zealand schooling system. system. Oh, that was a <laughs> did I get out of did I get pass, out of that one? Hospital pass of note. Um, yeah, I do an average to poor effort, but uh, yeah. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Talk about communication later is going to be a little time. I I'm unsure of a, a specific book, but I think it would be a book on an entrepreneurial side of life, a startup, something Mm -hmm. just because for us, it would have been nice to have learned something like that at school. Yeah. You know that, well, I didn't want to be an accountant. So, okay. I didn't want to be this. I didn't want to be a that, but there's so many skills that you can take from everything. And if there was a book that showed me that if I paid a bit more attention in accounting, it would have been, you know, it would help me start my own business or see things from a Mm -hmm. holistic Mm view. You know, the business as a whole, not just I know what I want to do or this is the product I'm going to sell or this is what I want to be. There's other intricacies around it. And a book on that, I mm. think, would be incredibly invaluable. Can I can I cheat? Yeah. And I'm Go. going to say rather than That's a book, cute. rather than a book, I'm going to say a podcast, which is called mm. uh, High Performance. And it's, okay. got, it's an English uh, podcast with... Jake Humphrey, who's a, he used to be a Formula One commentator and now he does football in the UK. And, okay. uh, and he's got a psychologist with him, Damien O'Connor, I think his name is. But they're basically just, they, a bit similar to this, they sit down for about an hour and they chat with a, a broad range of people from, from sports stars to successful entrepreneurs to, actors or actresses or one of them was a scottish lady who was deaf and she became their main conductor she was the head conductor for like the british orchestra for the royal orchestra she's deaf so like just and they just they just chat to these amazing people and they and they all kind of come back to key points of like, it's just little, little tips throughout their life. Of, and everybody expects because they're, 
famous or they're super wealthy or super successful or whatever it is that they had it easy and everything like that. But they all kind of boil down to a core message of, look, I had to work and work and work and it was not as easy as it all looks. This is, might be a very nice polished finished picture, but that there's messy parts of the messy middle to get to there and like, but I think for kids, if anything that helps get that message across, uh, would, would be a great thing. Awesome. Guys, that's, those are really great answers. I really do appreciate that, especially considering I sprung them on you at the very last minute. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Um, thank you, first of all, for taking the hour out of your diaries. I know that you don't have a spare hour, so I appreciate the value of the time. And just for sharing your learnings and your experiences and your wisdom with us. I think there are so many people like you, like me out there, who've got really great ideas that have such a significant role to play in South Africa's future that really just need to put on the shoes and, and take that first step. And, and yeah. hearing stories like yours, uh, where, where it hasn't in any way, shape or form been a perfect path, um, where there's been obstacles all the way and still knowing that it's possible, I think is a big part of helping us make those decisions to, you know, put on those shoes and take that step. So thank you again for your, your generosity. And, uh, yeah, we wish you the best of luck for the future. Thank Pleasure. you. Thank you for, for having, having us. us. Yeah, it's always nice to I think brainstorming about business and startups and everything. It gives it breeds good ideas, I think. And just dive in. Yeah. I think that's like the key as well. At some point you've got to commit. Yeah. So just do it. Yeah. Give it everything you've got and And more. <laughs> and more and figure out that little bit of left or the little bit of right or whatever you've got to do, but just dive in and, and get into it. Yeah, a shitty version of a real thing is always going to be better than a perfect version of an idea, right? Oh, no. Exactly. That's, that's awesome, actually. <laughs> Maybe that one should be in the school curriculum. That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a book based on that. <laughs> Maybe you should write it. <laughs> nah, I don't think I will do that. Uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to the response to the show. It's going to be amazing. Thanks. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com Click on the podcast link and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.